1: I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that.
2: Fourth and five, the national championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Vince Young scores. Hey everyone, welcome back to another College Chaps podcast. On this pod, we're going to dedicate our entire pod to life in Tuscaloosa and to talk about what's happening inside the Crimson Tide. So we'll be talking about recruiting, the quarterback battle, um, uh, who the season opener will be against, and, and just how scary it is to face Nick Saban at a press conference. But first, we're the, the College Chaps. I'm George, and I'm as usual joined by Ollie and Alex, gents. Last week we talked about that roller coaster of college football. It hasn't got much better this week, has it?
3: No, it's an absolute roller coaster. There's no other way of putting it. Um, announcement today that the Pac-12 are pushing ahead with a conference-only um, season with a mid-September start, so it's a delayed start to the college season. and Potentially multiple different dates for the Pac-12 Championship game, so it seems encouraging that we may have football, but we've felt like that on and off for the past... It feels like forever, um, so... Yeah, roller coaster is exactly the right way to describe it.
0: Hey, I mean, it's MLB opening day tonight. We've got NFL training camps hopefully opening this week. We've got news coming out about schedules in places we didn't think football was going to be played. It looks like we're going to get something in terms of college football this year. So that's just going to have to be enough to to satiate the need that we all have to uh, to watch some college ball. There's a
2: there's a theme emerging here because last week. You boys were yin and yang about this, right? Mr. Positive, Mr. Negative. Uh, I'd never see the day when Chinnery was going to be the Mr. Positive in all of this. Um, As I said, we're going to focus on life in Tuscaloosa, but the last time I looked, none of the three of us is based in Alabama, sadly. Uh, So we elected to get some expert opinion from someone who actually is in Alabama. Our special guest is the Alabama football beat reporter for Bama Online and 24-7 Sports actually is based in Tuscaloosa and has the unenviable task of facing Nick Saban's rants in the flesh so it's a warm chaps welcome to Charlie Potter. Charlie hi thanks for joining us how are you and how is life in Tuscaloosa at the moment?
1: Uh, It's good there's not really a lot going on it hasn't been for a few months but I'm really happy to join you guys.
2: Excellent um, as the guys will tell you, I'm really looking forward to this episode about the Crimson Tide. But uh, uh, so I'm hardly hiding my excitement. But let's uh, let's dive in at the, re- the deep end. Uh, it it's fair to say it's been a very good week for recruitment uh, at, uh, at Alabama. Um, uh, Mr. Chinnery might stay silent on on this, but uh, <laughs> in terms of recruitment for the 21 season, that offensive line is looking quite exceptional. Um, Charlie, a lot of uh, discussion in the press this week that this might be the best offensive line ever. It was a good week recruiting, wasn't it?
1: It was, yeah. And It started last Friday with the commitment from twins from, from Texas and Tommy and James Brockermeyer. And those are a couple of guys that I think have been turning to Alabama for a while now. Of course, you know this offseason with the whole uh, COVID-19 pandemic, guys haven't been able to take visits. And it's just kind of been – it's kind of been weird in terms of just recruiting because a lot of a lot of guys are are committing and pulling the trigger before even visiting the campuses they're going to choose to to attend. So I think in the Brockermeyer's case, they had made uh, multiple visits to to Alabama before, and um, you know, Alabama gets the the number one offensive tackle and. Uh, the number one center for the 2020 cycle in the same day. And they happen to be a uh, twin brothers. Uh, you know, Tommy's a, a top five player. He's a five-star recruit. And James, uh, I know he doesn't get as much attention, but like I said, he's the number one center in the country. And uh, a guy that is going to, he, he kind of has that chip on his shoulder being the, the younger brother that doesn't get as much media attention. So getting those two guys in the fold to go along with a guy like J.C. Latham from down at IMG Academy, another five-star tackle. And then on Sunday to get a commitment from Terrence Ferguson, a kid from Georgia and a place in in Georgia that's kind of hard to pull players away from, from teams like the Bulldogs uh, over there in Athens. So right now Alabama has two five-star tackles, a top 50 guard in Ferguson and the number one center. And they're looking to add a, a fifth member. And at this point, you know, they, they have what is the country's best uh, offensive line class and they could add to that and they can kind of be selective in doing that. So, yeah, it, it was a good week and, and Alabama's, you know, hauling in uh, a really, really nice offensive line class that could be one of the best ever.
2: And that's the that's that's the discussion just now, isn't it, whether that is the the, the best effort ever. But you, you touched on a good point there that um, – Nick, Nick Saban I mean I think it always always happens when you, you you have a year where you don't meet the expectations or the high expectations that they have at Alabama that the critics start to come out a lot of people saying that you know he's kind of lost his his touch in recruitment he can't he, he can't um, uh, carry favour with, the, with the, uh, the the recruits and he's, he's losing out but um, you touched on the recruitment and um, you know Kyle Flood's been down in Texas recruiting and um, and Terrence Ferguson coming out of Georgia, which is a particularly difficult place for Alabama to recruit, shows that um, they do still have that touchdown in these um, these these difficult recruiting areas.
1: They do, and I mean, it, it has been a, an off season of adjustments. I mean, back in March, I believe Alabama was ranked 55th in the nation and in, in terms of recruiting classes and they had one commitment and uh Deontay Lawson a kid from in-state and now they're I think up to 15 commitments and they're number two overall in the 24-7 sports composite which is you know, an industry-generated ranking system that uh, pulls rankings from 24-7 sports, rivals, and, and ESPN. So uh, they figured it out, <laughs> to say the least. I, I think that, you know, one thing that, that Nick Saban and his staff have done a good job is a job of is, you know, continuing to establish and maintain these relationships because they haven't been able to get these kids on campus. You lose a spring season where kids were able to come to uh, practices and come to an 8A game, and, and that didn't happen, obviously, because of the pandemic and um you know they had to kind of figure out how they were going to go about this and you know, you kind of waited to see what was going to happen with things like camps because camps is really where Alabama evaluates players they like to get them on campus and and really see them firsthand and without that they kind of shifted their approach and now we've seen just a, a flurry of commitments and like I said Alabama's catapulted itself up into a top 5 class and you know, has a chance to maybe pull in a number 1 ranked class again in terms of recruiting ranking. so uh, the guy hasn't lost his touch. Uh, he's well known as a recruiter, and I think he and his staff have figured it out, and they've started to hit their stride here when it matters most.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I think not to not to uh, take it out of perspective, but the the, the twenty one class, uh, and you touched on this, they can now be selective. But you know, in what would be almost an unheard situation, it, it is possible that they recruit an entire offensive line in in the one class, um, and for anyone who's you know who knows what how this season is going to going to play out, but um, you know the the Crimson Tide fans can be a fickle bunch at the best of times. But um, you know, seeing how that this can actually um, translate out over the next few years, at a time when a lot of people suggesting that Sabin would be winding down, clearly he's not. Right? He's um, he's he's looking much further out um, to, to the next uh, three, four, even five years.
1: Yeah, I mean, once the guy figured out how to do uh, Zoom meetings, I think that really. Uh, help because he can get in and he's a you know I, I know that his perception is um this hard-nosed guy that likes to yell in, in players faces and things like that but he is a personal a personal man and he's a guy that you know has the best interests in the players and to be able to get them in these zoom meetings these virtual visits or, or whatever they're doing uh I think has been beneficial um I think another thing that shows that he's not really slowing down is the kind of um the complete 180 of the strength and conditioning program. You know, you look at, you know, they're replacing a guy in Scott Cochran, who's been the face of strength and conditioning really in, in college sports for the last decade. And he moved on to Georgia and they brought in some guys that are, you know, more scientific in their approach and David Ballou and, and Dr. Matt Ray from Indiana. And those two, uh, this it, has been nothing but positive reviews for them, but they've been very beneficial in the recruiting process. They're getting out front with these, uh, players and their families to show them, hey, look, this isn't you know uh, the traditional strength and conditioning program of old. We know that everybody, and every player is different, and we're going to cater this program to to your kid and to you know making him the best possible athlete. And you know the new bells and whistles they have at that uh, sports science center they built onto the Mount Moore Athletic Facility. Uh, it 's a big selling point, and you know as if alabama wasn 't attractive enough because they 've won so many national championships and produced so many NFL uh, draft picks now they have you know even more to to offer in terms of this new strength and conditioning program and this sports science uh, center to uh, really work with kids and not only to in their development but if they were to get injured, just uh, the, the plan in, in place to to help them there so yeah I mean it 's been a a roller coaster off season. Uh, But, you know, Nick Saban, he's a guy that uh, is really able to adapt. And I think with everything that's gone on and and bringing in these guys, he's shown that, you know, he's he's probably tired of being at the house and Miss Terry, his wife, is probably tired of him being there. So he's figured this thing out and, and got it rolling. So it's, it's all changed since he got
2: email. I think um, <laughs> they, uh, they um, saw so the pictures of the sports and science centre, or little teasers, to be honest. I, I think you said that uh, maybe you get to see a bit, a bit more of that this afternoon, as well as the locker room this year uh, or the new locker room. I have to say it's very impressive. They're spending a lot of money on on the facility.
1: They are. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's it- the, the Malmore facility over there uh, isn't really out of date, but, you know, you have to keep up with the Joneses in recruiting. We've seen uh, LSU. They kind of have, like, the, the lockers that look like um, seats in, in first class in an airplane, and, you know, the, everybody just trying to one-up each other, and Alabama's done that. I mean, the, the locker room is, is super nice. Uh, I'm hoping soon that I'll be able to get over there and, and get a firsthand look, but just judging from the videos and the photos that they put out there, uh, it's It's top of the line and, and that sports science center yeah it's a really big selling point um you know Nick Saban is unsolicited mentioned in that uh, mentioned that several times now this off season and um you know they're a team and a program that has been you know bit by the injury bug the last couple of years and I think taking that next step and advancing with medicine and and really uh hitting this head on is something that is you know is very appealing to recruits a lot of them are asking questions about the training staff and you know what would happen in this situation asking all the right questions and right now Alabama has all the answers with all the things that they've been adding on over there it's uh you know it's kind of the mecca uh, over there they had they were kind of the first with that huge weight room um you have the indoor practice facility that's been there for a while they have three or four practice fields and then now you add on Something like this to go on with all their you know championship trophies, and you know I can see whenever they get these guys on campus that uh, you know why so many of them are enamored and choose to pull the trigger with committing to Alabama.
2: Yeah, I mean, last season in November last year, I got pretty really lucky to go and see the practice facility at Georgia, and and I thought that was hugely impressive because that was that was relatively new, and they're still still building some of that. Um, and certainly compared to some of the even the Premier League football clubs here, it was pretty impressive. But but I just got the sense that they knew that Alabama was building, and you know it's just one of these things where they're just you mentioned LSU, we are just going to get better and better progressively year on year. Um, I uh, uh, let, let's let, let's talk about um, what what happens this season. And um, as Alex said, we're very much um, working on the, the the positive view that there is going to be a season. Uh, there's a lot happening at Alabama, but I think um, uh, as is typical, focus on the quarterback battle. Uh, Mike Jones did well last year, um, uh, taking a place of of Tua when he was injured. Uh, but we've got we've got another new kid on the block, uh, Bryce Young. Uh, Charlie, uh, I'm going to start off with you. Uh, have you had the chance to see Bryce Young yet, or, or what? What are the kind of feelers coming out of um, uh, of
1: Tuscaloosa? Not in person. Um, I, I know that he was able to be on campus as an early enrollee, but you know, they shut uh, everything down the day they were supposed to start spring practice. So uh, I haven't seen him throw in person. I've seen plenty of video, and, and the kid's are really, really impressive. I know whenever they were able to reconvene on campus, um, they have a field that's like basically a replica of the field at Bryant Denny Stadium. It's it's a a little ways away from the stadium, but really close to the um, the athletic facility where the football team is most of the time, and, and a lot of guys congregated there. Uh, it's actually where the million dollar band practices, and um, it was right when they came back to campus. and Bryce Young was out there, and he was throwing the ball to Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle and a lot of the receivers and. And he looks really good. Uh, so far, he's been as advertised. Um, you know, he's a guy that has added a lot of good weight uh, since coming to Alabama. Uh, I know, obviously, getting in with this nutrition program has helped with that. But when he went home to California, uh, you know, hearing from his dad, Craig Young, it sounds like their grocery bill went up a little bit and and he's been able to add about 20 good pounds. And and that's, that's big, you know, he's not the biggest quarterback in the world in terms of height, but to add some, some muscle and some good weight to his frame, I think has been good. But, um, you know, I I haven't heard just like the strength and conditioning staff, I haven't heard a bad thing about Bryce Young. He's a good kid. Uh, He's kind of got that magnetic personality where we're players and teammates just kind of gravitate toward him and as a quarterback that's what you want especially you know when you're in a competition with a guy like mac jones i mean mac was faced with a hell of a challenge last year in replacing a guy like tua but he went out there and he showed confidence and in turn his teammates had confidence in him to get the job done so it's not a situation really of um the the age-old saying of winning the locker room both of these guys have the confidence their teammates it's just now it's, it's who's best, obviously, with no spring training and uh, with an offseason that's just unprecedented. Um, you know, Mac Jones, I think, has the upper hand because he's been in the system. He knows these things. But you know, we saw you know, in, in 2017 um, you know, Nick Saban waited till the last hour to pull the trigger and to put Tua in, and uh, that paid off. I think with this situation having learned that lesson, if, if Bryce Young is the better player, you don't wait. Um, obviously, with like I said, with a shortened off season and, and limited time working with the offense, I think you start off with with, with Mac Jones. But if, if Bryce Young proves to be the real deal, uh, I think we see a lot of him in twenty twenty. It's
2: Going to be interesting, uh, Alex. They're they're very different players, aren't they? You know, they they bring different things to the, the the team. That's what I think makes this competition, if you want to call it that, so so intriguing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. Whilst they are very different players, um, I feel like the game plan is going to be very similar for Bama moving forward, whoever's at quarterback, because you haven't got uh, a Tua Tungvalu talent there yet. Bryce Young is that talented. He could be that good, but I don't think he's there quite at this moment. So when you look and you see they've got a senior running back in Najee Harris, who we're going to come on to later because I know Ollie loves him. Uh, you've got a, a great receiving core around, but they're a receiving core who can make plays happen. You just have to get the ball into their hands. You haven't got to, you know, the, the quarterback for Bama this year hasn't got to throw the ball 60 yards down the field for Jalen Waddle to catch a 60-yard, 70-yard, 80-yard touchdown pass. You know, you can throw the ball 10 yards and Jalen Waddle can take it a further 70 yards after the catch to the house, he's that talented. You know, you've got Devonta Smith there as a chain mover who can also – who's a great route runner, good athlete. And between that whole group that they've got there, you haven't got a quarterback that's going to have to go out and win you the game on his own. So I think that you're going to see a very similar style with whoever comes in. If Bryce Young can come in and have a Sam Howell-like season last year – you know, then Alabama are going to be the favourites to win the national championship, but it's a big, big ask to come in and have a freshman season of that level. So that's why I think with a a roster like this that can challenge for a national championship with Mac Jones at quarterback, and Mac Jones being the known commodity at quarterback, I think it makes sense for him to start the season there at least.
2: And and that that's where I think the, the 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 safe money is. To be honest, that. Uh, Nick Saban is not known for um, uh, you know, jumping to the to the unknown straight away, but as Charlie points out, you know he kind of broke the mold with two, and he, and you can see how how that played out for him. Uh, I I I I think that um, he will start with Mac Jones because uh, as as Charlie mentioned, Mac Jones was such a, a capable stand-in last season, and actually was more than a capable standing. Um, he's a, he's a game winner, and and he can win games. Alex talked about um, Najee Harris and, and we do want to move on to that because uh, uh, ollie has been strangely quiet. Um, uh, we, we, had a, we had a debate between the three of us, um, not really much of a debate, uh, between the three of us during the week where uh, we were talking about where Najee Harris comes out uh, if, you know, if he has the season we think he is. Um, uh, ollie, it, you, you're quite a fan of, of uh, young Najee.
3: I love Najee Harris. I mean, the, the phrase do it all, running back, Probably was invented for for Najee Harris, you know. Before last season, he he spent this time in this running back rotation at Alabama, and I'm sure Charlie will elaborate on on the the running back rotation through the years. But last year, he's you know to over 200 carries and he's gone over 1,200 yards. He's been that receiving presence as well last year, which he hadn't shown in his first two years in the league. You know, he led the SEC in total touchdowns last year with um seven of those coming from um as receiving touchdowns he's strong he's fast he's capable of his hands he doesn't fumble very often you know he, he could have been one of the top running backs in the 2020 nfl draft class we're a long way from 2021 but you, you can't help but feel like Najee harris is going to be that rb1 rb2 type of player um yeah, there's a lot of good running backs again, you know. There's Travis Etienne, there's Shuba Hubbard, there's a guy I love in Kenny Gainwell. There's outside the box guys like Jared Patterson and Buffalo. But, but for me, Najee Harris, uh, Najee Harris, he, I love him. I can't, I just can't speak highly enough about him.
2: So we're all fans, Charlie. Um, it, it, it's it's very unfair to say that, that this is a breakout season because last year he was so impressive. But the problem I think last year was that he had so many. Sorry, the quarterbacks had so many targets and, you know, we saw um, Jerry Judy and um, uh, Henry Ruggs uh, have exceptional seasons uh, that I wouldn't say that the run game was um, w- w- was neglected. I think that's largely unfair, but th- there was a lot of targets for, for the quarterback and two, like to throw the ball. Um, Najee Harris could, could be the star of the show this year, couldn't he?
1: Yeah, I think if you're looking at uh, players in Alabama's roster that that have the best chance to get invited to New York uh, for the Heisman Trophy, Najee tops the list. Um, Obviously, if, you know, uh, Bryce Young or or Mac Jones have an unbelievable season, they'll be up there, too, because it's a quarterback award. But when you have uh, an offensive line like Najee has, we have four of five starters returning from last year's team. Uh, and you do have an inexperienced player at quarterback and you do lose uh, two first-round draft picks and Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs, I think you will lean on the running game a little bit more. Um, And I think with with Najee, I mean, the the running back room is pretty loaded. Uh, You return basically everyone from last year. You had three freshmen. uh, Trey Sanders, a former five-star, gets added to the mix. And I think that might be good for him because you can maybe take a little bit of the load off of him, uh, but still he could have the same type of production. Um, you know, he's a guy that has always possessed the ability. It's actually funny. I remember last year we we had an interview session with Najee and someone mentioned how um, he's improved as a receiver. And he kind of looked at him with a, a stale expression. He's like, well, I've always been able to catch the ball. I just haven't had the opportunity to do so. And he's a guy that doesn't lack confidence. I think the big thing with him that can maybe propel him to that next level is this offseason he's really worked on uh, his explosiveness, um, you know, he's a guy that it's it's unbelievable to see that he has a, a yards per carry average of I believe six or six yards or maybe six yards and some change uh, per carry. But his longest rush is thirty five yards, and that came in his freshman season when he was a backup. So I think he's really working on finishing those long runs and adding that to his repertoire because he can do everything else. He checks all the boxes. Uh, you know, he's a he's a strong runner. Uh, he's a reliable receiver. He can block in the in the pass protection, which is something Alabama running backs need. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a fan of Najee. I think Travis uh, Etienne is, is probably his biggest competition, maybe Chuba Hubbard as well. But uh, I think he has a case to be uh, the best running back in the nation this year if they feed him the ball.
2: We also saw the, the video of him racing against a drone this year uh, during pre-season. So um, if anyone doubted his speed, uh, he proved that. Um, but I wanted to touch on another player because I read an article that, that, that you wrote, um, I think this week, Charlie, um, which was the, the end of a series of the, the top 35 uh, most important players for 2020. A, a player who I think on the defensive side, who Alabama really missed last year, um, I guess there's some debate as to whether if Dylan Moses was in the team, um, if they would have gone on to, to to win a national title, whether they'd actually beat LSU. That that might have been a bit of an ask, frankly. But um, Dylan Moses back fit and a leader in that team is hugely important for them this year, isn't it?
1: Oh, it's huge. Um, you know, I remember being down in Orlando and, and seeing him post on Instagram that uh, he was coming back. And I was just like, man, what if he was on this team this year? Because Dylan, I mean, he's a guy that's been um, highly regarded since he was in middle school. Um, and, and he's lived up to that hype. I mean, he was a, a finalist for the Buckets Awards, a sophomore in 2018. He was ready to step into that uh, leadership role, be the Mike linebacker, and, and really do what he had did in 2018. I know Mac Wilson was on the team, but, you know, Dylan uh, knew the defense like the back of his hand and was able to get guys lined up as well. And uh, taking that next step as a junior, I mean, he's a guy that could have been a top 10 draft pick if he was healthy. Uh, I think he really gave some consideration to, to turning pro and would have been a first round pick. Uh, but having him back is is huge because um, with him suffering the injury the week before the Duke game is, was so unfortunate. Adding that to, you know, losing a guy like Josh McMillan who had been in the program for five years already. Um, it, it forced true freshmen to go in there and, and they made true freshman mistakes. I think they got uh, better as the season improved, but to have a guy like Dylan who knows the defense and is such just a, a, a great player. Uh, I think that's huge for Alabama. Um, you know, it's, we talked and, and you guys have mentioned just the the question marks surrounding this season. I will hate it if there's no football in 2020, because I don't get to see Dylan Moses on the field. He's just such a, a commanding presence in that defense. And I agree. I mean, you look back, it's obviously hypothetical and, and Nick Saban hates those uh, situations, but you got to wonder what would have happened when LSU came to Tuscaloosa if 32 was on the field, just because he was able to, to line everybody up and, and get people in the right spots. And, um, you know, you, you look at the, the LSU and the Auburn games and, and Alabama um, lost those, I believe, by a combined eight points. I think Dylan Moses is good for eight points uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, I think getting him back, and they got plenty of guys back, Najee, Devontae Smith, uh, Alex Leatherwood, but getting Dylan Moses back was huge for this 2020 team.
2: Yeah. Ollie, he's a, he's a leader on the park. They, they missed the leader last year. Um, they get him back, and I guess... Um, they also have the added advantage of those players who had to step up last year. Um, obviously, came up short, but but they have the experience moving into this year. Um, the Alabama defense is, is is shaping up to be to be quite quite impressive.
1: It is, yeah. I think those guys up front getting that experience last year is is big. Um, yeah, you know, I think Christian Harris is a guy that showed the most progress from from game one to game thirteen. And uh, those guys on the defensive line as well, they had injuries up front with guys like LeBron Ray and and DJ Dell. I think that'll help. I think the defensive line is deeper, inside linebacker is deeper. Uh, The question marks are, you know, on the edge of pass rusher and in the secondary because they have to replace, I believe, what, six overall starters, and and that's big. So uh, they have a lot of question marks, but they have some young guys that can step in. I think having a guy like Moses to to lead them would be beneficial, though.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me especially this year for Alabama, is a first in that you don't you look at you look along that defensive line and there isn't a a massive standout name that that comes and grabs you in terms of NFL draft prep for me. You know, I look at when I was doing my summer scouting series, and a lot of the names that are popping up already are from from different programs. You know, this program's had a a real rich history of of having a defensive lineman drafted in the in the top near the top of the draft almost every year it seems at least to me you know you you look across the league and there are Alabama defensive linemen on, on almost every team at this point um, but I, I think it's that's going to be a key area for them if those guys can come in and play up to the level of previous defensive lines at Alabama it's going to be a massive massive boost for that team
3: I wanted to uh, I wanted to ask you a question Charlie on, while we're talking about defence um some conversation about I've, I've done some study on the cornerback class for for 2021, and pretty much we're looking at who's the better quarterback cornerback. Uh, sorry, Patrick Sertain Jr. Or, or Sean Wade from Ohio State. Where, where, where do you stand on that? What do you think of Patrick Sertain?
1: I think he has that prototypical size that you want. Uh, it seems the game has kind of shifted to having longer corners, and you know he has the the bloodlines. His dad was. Uh, An all-pro in in the league with the Dolphins and the Chiefs. And, um, you know, Pat's just, uh, he seems like he's just kind of been born and bred to play football. And uh, he's a good kid. And uh, he's someone that's kind of answered the bell whenever his number's been called because he came in as a true freshman. I believe it was after the first play of the game against Ole Miss when uh, Sapion Smith was torched for a 75-yard touchdown. And he never let go of the job. Um, you know, he's a guy that he's been kind of close to Nick Saban's hip since he's been in Tuscaloosa that benefits defensive backs whenever they kind of get in that close pocket with Saban. And, um, you know, he's, he's a guy that I think has just improved and he knows this year is a big year. Um, he's got, he's a guy that could possibly play, uh, multiple spots in that secondary. He can play corner. He can play star. And I think that kind of helps him, uh, from a, uh, scouting standpoint, because the more roles you can play, the more versatile and, um, you know, you, you don't. You don't have to waste as many roster spots if you can fill multiple roles. So he's a guy that um, I think he's one of the best in the country when it comes to corners. Um, Sean Wade's a hell of a player. I think Derek Stingley at LSU, obviously he's not draft eligible yet, but those are the guys that come to mind. But it surprises me none to see his name pop up on these All-American lists because I think he's a guy at the end of the season uh, that could end up there. The only problem with it is, uh, he's the only guy returning in their nickel defense that has any experience. I don't really know how many opposing offenses are going to throw the ball at number two. So uh, he might have some quiet outings and, you know, guys like Josh Job and, and others will get more attention because the ball's being thrown at them. But I think that also speaks to the testament of what kind of player Pat is and the respect that other teams have for him as well.
2: So let's turn our attention to the, to the season. And again, ever hopeful it's going to, it's going to go ahead. Um, Preparation. You said at the outset of this that it had it, it been it been quiet for you, Charlie, because they really haven't been able to do stuff. And am I right in saying because I've been following some of the other teams who have maybe been a bit a bit more open about the preparation? And they're now back in the facility. Is that is that correct?
1: They are. Yeah, they're in the second phase of summer workouts. I believe uh, they started that last week, last Tuesday. Um, yeah, you know, I know that. Uh, the second phase kind of was a, a window of July 13th to the 23rd. And it's basically just they're calling it mandatory workouts. But know um, yeah, they're not forcing the guys to be there. We're in the middle of a global, global pandemic. Uh, for God's sake. So if, if they don't want to be there and they're not comfortable, or if they're guys that have tested positive or previously tested positive, uh, they're not forcing them to be around the facility. But I think majority of the players are there. I know Najee, like we've talked about, he's a guy that's been away from campus, but, but working with various trainers and, and things like that. I think they're okay with them doing that because right now it just consists of uh, weight training, conditioning, and some film review. And um, I know they're in contact, the guys that are away are in contact with their position coaches and the people that need to be in contact with but they're in the second phase now and I believe later this week is when they can move to that third phase and they can kind of get on the field a little bit and do some walkthrough stuff and then there there are a lot of time per week increases so it's kind of that last step before um, the start of preseason camp and that'll be uh, I believe it's the 7th of August Alabama hasn't announced anything like that they've been pretty quiet in terms of just um, I guess being transparent they haven't really confirmed and denied the number of cases and positive tests that they've had. Uh, But uh, they've had a plan in place. They're following that plan. They're moving along with it and uh, their guys are back on campus. And, you know, so far it's been so good for them. Um, Hopefully that continues because uh, you mentioned it's been a quiet off season for me. I've done a lot of work and and came up with a lot of stuff, but just in terms of, you know, being around the facility, talking to the the current players and coaches uh, it's, it's been, it's been quiet in that front.
2: It certainly has. Um, one thing that hasn't been quiet is the is the guessing game about uh, what the what the fixture, uh, what the conference schedule is going to look like, uh, uh, what the whole schedule is going to look like. And there's been a lot of uh, discussion over the this last seven days. Uh, we all got very excited uh, when rumor started that perhaps uh, um, Notre Dame would take the the place of USC for that season opener. That seemed to be very quickly uh, dashed, unfortunately. The, the suggestion after that is that BYU are going to be the, the, the season opener. Have you heard anything else uh, about that fixture yet?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the caveat with that is if Alabama plays a full season and we've already seen the Pac-12 and the the Big Ten move to conference-only scheduling. And uh, you know, part of me just believes that the Power 5 conferences will, will be autonomous in this and do the same thing, but it sounds like you know uh, the SEC, the ACC, and the Big Twelve are are holding out until the last minute, and there's even reports of some discussions with the the SEC and the ACC to to maybe play, uh, you know, eight or nine game conference schedule and add in a uh, a cross conference game, and that makes sense because there's so many rivalry games with the sec and the acc but the byu game makes a lot of sense uh and you know i i would love to see alabama open this season with notre dame heck i'd love to see alabama open this season against anybody at this point on september 5th but uh just because you know you you have two blue blood programs like alabama and notre dame and you're you're not going to be able to really agree on on what to do um i think with byu being an independent as well and losing so many games Uh, on their schedule already, they're willing to maybe travel to a Tuscaloosa and make it more advantageous for Alabama to to match up with them. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's not as exciting as a USC or a Notre Dame, but you're not, you know, playing an FCS opponent. I think, you know, Greg Byrne and the athletic department, Greg Byrne being the the athletic director at Alabama, have done an outstanding job of, of putting schedules together. They have 10 or 11 home and homes for the the next you know 10 or 12 years or even more uh, on the schedule so they're kind of shifting to that but to to salvage a season opener against a team like BYU would be great Um, for me I think you know at at this point I would take a a conference only schedule of maybe you know six to ten games in a a delayed season just because we've had so much um, you know negative you know just response and and uh, feedback and news over this pandemic, but if they can somehow you know manage to get BYU to, to travel to Tuscaloosa on September fifth and, and they let me in the press box, I'll be there.
2: Good, and you're right. I mean, we talked right at the outset about this roller coaster uh, of emotions that we're going through, uh, uh, and you know, in the last few weeks where we've done our podcast, it really has been a this week. Um, football looks if it's happening this week. Football looks as if it's not happening, um, and I think we're, we're like everybody. We're getting a bit um, sick and tired of it. But I guess that you you made the point here about the SEC as as well as the the, the Big Ten and the ACC have been uh, particularly quiet in in setting out what their what their expectations are. From from what you're hearing, and you just touched a little bit on this. Um, from what you're hearing, what's your best estimate of what an SEC season might look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Like you said, it seems like it changes uh, every week or every few days. Um, it, it seems like it's you know going to happen and then you, you see a, a spike in cases and it seems like it isn't. But um, for me, um, I ultimately, at least at this point with everything that's happened, I think they would play a, a conference only a schedule. Um, you know, I, I would love to see them play, you know, nine or 10 conference games and then they kind of have that flexibility to, to shorten them if they have, um, you know, something pop up with it, like a spike in cases or something like that. Um, me, I'm just holding out hope for conference only. Um, I would be overjoyed to see a, a BYU on September 5th or they add an ACC opponent at this point. But seeing already that the Big 12 or – I'm sorry, the Big 10 and the Pac-12 have went to conference only, I, I just think that the Power Five conferences are, are going to do the same thing. Um, you know, when it comes to the playoff and the postseason and everything like that, it just – it makes a lot of sense. But I'd love to be wrong. Uh, I've, I've tried to remain positive and optimistic through this whole um, – off season i've wrote a bunch of stories as if the season's going to happen um you know as scheduled to kind of you know speak it into existence but for me i think you know if if you're a deal or no deal kind of person that if it's if it's going to be anything i would take a a conference only slate with maybe a delayed start
2: um ollie you've been you've been negative so far we'd take any kind of football at this time at this moment in time wouldn't we
3: yeah, of course we would. I mean, we we, we spoke about um, when we had uh, Bex on to talk about um, the FCS football and stuff like that, and we talked about um, then there was the potential, and obviously it's, it's proven to be, that a lot of um, the FCS-level um, divisions and conferences would go for, for spring football. Um, and we said then, you know, spring, summer, fall, You know, we want to watch football, we'll watch football whenever it is. And obviously, a switch to spring has a massive impact on those schools because of the impact it has for those players on the NFL draft. But, you know, whatever shape, form or fashion, the football season comes in and safely comes in. I think that's the most important part. Of course, we want to watch wherever we can get.
2: I did. Um, I did notice Trey Lance on Twitter this morning this afternoon, saying that he had, he had no interest in spring football. Um, but I, I guess that that doesn't doesn't really surprise us. Um, uh, it would wouldn't be this podcast um, uh, about Alabama if we didn't spend a little bit of time um, on Nick Saban, um, the, the the greatest coach that the, the college football game has ever seen. Uh, Charlie, uh, you get to see this uh, this man work at, at relatively close close quarters. I said to you before you came on, it'd be quite good for for some stories, but generally what's it like watching, watching Saban uh, in operation and, um, and do you get the sense that they are actually watching history in the making?
1: Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to step back and and realize that a lot of the times, um, you know, (laughs) this, this past year uh, was the first bowl game I've ever covered. That wasn't a new year's six game uh, being down in Orlando and uh, it was strange. I mean, you could tell it's different. You can tell, um, you know, the, the winning programs end up at, at certain places and that an 11-2 and two season with a, a game that wasn't a New Year's 6 game but was played on, on New Year's Day was, um, you know, not up to the expectations of this program. But, um, no, I mean, the success that Alabama has, it makes my job a lot easier. Um, you know, writing and, and um, you know, covering – a team and interviewing players is a lot easier to do after a win and um, I've done that way more times than I have losses um, you know it's it's not a lot of fun to go into those locker rooms when the guys have uh, tasted defeat and in a place like Alabama uh, I think it hits even harder because they don't lose a lot of games so um, now I mean covering this it's you, you do have to kind of take a step back and realize that you are a part of a history or at least witness it firsthand and um, you know he's some guy that doesn't really, you know, do that a lot. Reflect on on what he's accomplished, but um, he's done a hell of a job at Alabama. I mean, I'm from the state. Uh, my dad's an Alabama fan. I went to the university. Um, I've kind of, you know, become numb to it a little bit, being around it every day and, and writing about it uh, every day. But uh, it is really a joy to to be a part of this, be around it, to see the success that they've had.
2: Um, I always marvel and 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 relish and and frankly laugh when. Uh, Nick Saban starts to rant and, and go off on a little bit of a, a moment. Um, but, but what's, what's it, what's it like? Have you ever been in the end of that? But um, uh, what's, what's it like um, when he, when he started, is, is it a case that it, I wouldn't say it's maybe preempted, but, but he's doing it for a, he's doing it for a point.
1: Well, I I have two examples of, of that. Uh, I think one of his most recent rants I, was because of me, it was back on signing day in February, and um, Alabama signed three players, but they were expected to get five that day. Uh, they had a couple of guys that went to, I believe Missouri and a and I, I don't remember their names off the top of my head because I've, I've shifted my focus to this 2021 class, but um, I asked him about that. I basically asked him, uh, did you expect today a little to be a little bit busier from a uh, signature standpoint, a letter of intent standpoint? And with him, And in those press conference settings, you have to be very mindful of how you ask things. And he usually just, you know, hones in on keywords and me saying, did you expect to be busier today? He kind of teed off on that. And uh, he gave me a little math lesson of how they had 22 players signed in the early period. And, you know, the limit is 25 and they signed three. So that makes sense. But I think the, the notion and everybody expected them to sign five that day. And he knew what I meant, but, You know, that's just him sometimes. And then the the opposite end of that spectrum is um, one time I asked him about Tua and how just the the fans at Alabama kind of embraced his uh, Hawaiian and Polynesian culture. We saw a lot of, like, lays at the stadium, people wearing Hawaiian shirts, and, you know, they had a bunch of signs and stuff. And I just asked him, you know, how how neat is it to see your fan base really embrace uh, Tua's heritage and, and support him like that? and um you mentioned he he kind of has a preemptive reasoning for these rants this is exactly it he he had no problem with my question whatsoever he's like oh yeah that's great and then went on about a two or two and a half minute rant about how the students don't stay uh, for 60 minutes so uh-huh. sure if, if you don't ask the question the right way you're gonna get um embarrassed a little bit up there you just gotta have to grin and bear it but then also some of those rants have nothing to do with the question he's asked whatsoever. And he's just going to tee off on something that's been bothering him since he stepped off the practice field.
2: Um I, I guess, I guess, in uh, in this country, the only thing we can compare it to is uh, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson press conference. But uh, uh, one of one of um, uh, my, my on my my uh, wish list is to to ask Nick Saban a, a question um, and get some sort of rant. So, so you, you're you're my hero, Charlie. Well done. <laughs> um, uh, thanks so much for coming on the the, the show um, uh, this afternoon. Uh, really appreciate. Uh, that's that's all from us uh, on this show. Um, as I said, thanks to Charlie for for coming on. Uh, you did say you've been writing a lot of stuff and you have been throwing out a lot of content um, in difficult circumstances, frankly. Uh, tell our listeners what we can watch uh, out for and what you're working on in the next few weeks.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting these next few weeks because at this point I'd usually be doing um, you know camp previews of each position group and I'll probably still try to do that because I think they're going to start on time but you just kind of have to be mindful. Uh, like you said, I wrapped up my most important players uh, series. I'm going to kind of touch on players that missed the cut there but you're just talking to former players and uh, like I said, trying to speak this season into existence is, is what I'm trying to do and Anybody that's looking to read that can do that at com, and I'm on Twitter at Charlie underscore Potter.
2: Excellent. Sounds great. We'll watch out for that. Um, a huge thanks for bringing a little bit of Tuscaloosa to the to the podcast um, uh, this afternoon. It's been brilliant chatting to you. Uh, that's all from us. Um, if you, you like what you heard, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast Speaker or whoever you're listening to us through. And if you really enjoyed this, please leave us a review. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram. Our Twitter account is at College Chaps. Uh, So please give us a follow. Uh, We're all still uh, writing stuff for the touchdown and Ollie and Alex um, are still at uh, Pro Football Network, Saturday Blitz and Seven Step Drop. So please give them a follow. Thanks again to Charlie, Alex and Ollie for their brilliant input. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and well. Catch you all next time and uh, roll tight.